This is Neon Radio, episode 128, with Vienna from Mindful MFT. Welcome to Neon Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, fashion and lifestyle photographer for today's top brands, performers, and game changers. On this podcast, we explore the body, mind, and soul of the creative entrepreneur, bringing you inspiring guests to help take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. Hello, fellow Neonites. I hope you're having a great day. I'm excited to bring to you today's guest and chat about this very subject of your inner world because your inner world affects your outer world and affects your relationships and it affects your art and your career. And I wanted to dive into this episode with Vienna over at Mindful MFT. And she is a therapist here in New York City, but she has a really great Instagram, which has kind of garnered some attention and has a lot of deep thoughts that I think you'll really, really enjoy. So you can head over to Mindful MFT on Instagram and follow her, get a sense of what she's up to, but she sheds a lot of great insights on a daily basis. So I think you'll like that. And I think that, you know, for me, this is a huge, you know, turning point. Yeah, I just went through a breakup. And so there's a lot of things that I've been dealing with and trying to unpack about myself to make myself a better person and learn more from all of that. And we talk about a lot of things, how to find a good therapist and a lot about the stigma of therapy. And I know, I think, you know, if you were anything like me a while back, there's this weird stigma about therapy that it's bad or that you have problems. But the truth is we all have problems. The truth is we all have the things, the emotions that we're dealing with on a daily basis. And especially if you're a creative like me, that breathes a lot of different things like uncertainty and different feelings of self-worth and other emotions that not everybody else deals with. And so I think it's very important to talk to somebody and unpack those feelings. It's important to learn why we operate the way we operate so that we can make better decisions in the future. So, let me know what you think of this episode and what questions you have, what you're going through. And you can share those over in the Neon Life community over at neonlife.com slash community. And it's an I-O-N for those of you who are new to the, the brand and the podcast. It's all about helping you live a better creative lifestyle, living a life in color and optimizing your best creative self. So with that, I bring to you Vienna from Mindful MFT. What's up, everyone? Today we have Vienna Farron from Mindful MFT Therapy and Practice. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. You also have a big Instagram following with all your words of wisdom on there. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> which is, is awesome. So go follow it. It's uh, Instagram.com slash Mindful MFT. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I'm excited to have you on the show today because I, you know, I think there's a, you know, it's funny. I was just talking to Emmanuel Shrieky on mm -hmm. one of the episodes and we were talking about how everyone needs therapy. So, oh, 100%. Uh, <laughs> which is why I want to kind of get, uh, talk to you today about some different things related to creativity and entrepreneurship. And, but first, let's jump into it and uh, give, give us your, uh, your story, where you're from and uh, how you got into therapy and kind of what you're, your philosophies are sure um so i am originally from somerset new jersey i was born and raised there went to undergrad in pennsylvania and then immediately went to chicago uh, for grad school so i uh, got my master's in marriage and family therapy uh, from northwestern and um which is was trained by some of the greatest people out there and then uh, moved back east afterwards. But I think really what drew me into marriage and family therapy was, um, I think maybe probably the first first place was just witnessing my parents' divorce and um, just kind of seeing their relationship um, through the really bad and ugly parts of it. Um, and then their, their transition into becoming 
really good friends. Uh, and it was just a very interesting journey to, to watch, especially as an only child, um, just kind of taking the back seat there um, and getting caught in the middle of many things, um, but also just witnessing their own individual journeys through through that divorce. Um, you know, for me, I wanted to learn and understand what went into creating great relationships. I think at a probably pretty unevolved state in my life, it was like, how do I make sure that I never get divorced? Because um, I don't want to go through the same thing that they went through. But yeah, I got really fascinated with relationships, why we choose who we choose, why some relationships work and others don't, um, why patterns get recreated over and over again. Yeah. And if there are certain things that we can learn that we don't really learn through the family system learning uh, that like we can start to teach, I wanted to start helping people um, kind of understand the tools and tips that go into creating healthy, long-lasting relationships. That's great. So mm -hmm. relationships is your focus. Uh, Total focus. Throughout the whole therapy. Yeah. I mean, so I'm a marriage and family therapist. So our work is entirely systemic by nature. So um, when people come in, even if they're if it's an, an individual, the work is within the context of relationships always, right? So we're, we're always talking about their family systems, their family of origin, right? That's the, the family in which they grew up. Yeah. Um, and and or that you know the romantic relationships but it's all interconnected right that's right. what we believe is that like everything affects one another you're not just here to solve your own problems and and here's this issue that you're presenting with but that you are a part of systems everywhere you turn like everything is relational yeah is it like everything yeah. we do is relational so there's no way to to not talk <laughs> about it um, absolutely absolutely so where um i guess where to start yeah where to start i you know how do you do individual therapy as well yeah i do i do individual um and couple there's some families that come in as well but that's not the majority of the practice the majority is individual and couples um but yeah, again, within the context of, of relationships, and sometimes it's family relationship issues, sometimes yeah. it's romantic uh, relationship issues, um, dating in New York City, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the endings of relationships. So, you know, there's a lot of that that comes in. And it's just such fascinating work. And especially working in New York City, too, just like the culture here yeah. um, and its impact on relationships and our sense of self and our sense of worth. Um, you know, I've I've noticed that it can be different based on where we are in this world. Yeah. Um, and so really paying particular attention to the impact and the effects of New York City on the individuals and couples here. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure you've, you've got some crazy stories that you can't even share. <laughs> yeah, there you know, there's some and then so much of it is exactly what you'd think it would be. Yeah. You know, so much of it is exactly what you and I go through. You know, yeah. there's certainly people who have stories that um, are a bit unique and, um, you know, might raise an eyebrow uh, for some. And then so many stories that are like, yeah, this is what we all go through. Yeah. Uh, and it's very normalizing. Yeah. Um, it's I think um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Esther Perel. I think yeah. we she. Um, she has a podcast now and I think uh, sorry it's like an audible series um, and it's a look into couples therapy and yeah. so people are listening in to couples sessions now That's and crazy. it's so cool because it's so normalizing like ah like so many other people are are going through the same thing that I'm going through and it's not just conceptualizing of it like oh, of course like somebody out there must be going through the same thing mm -hmm. it's like oh I actually get to listen in on uh, this this session and right. it's real you know it's not made up and that piece feels so comforting so um yeah yeah it's a really cool so, thing to check out so tell me what uh what are some common problems that you see with couples like nowadays mm -hmm. and especially i guess more in the entrepreneur side of things yeah it, at the at the core you know we always come back to communication mm -hmm. issues right so Communication, conflict resolution, um, but I think probably the biggest issue in all of that is our own self-awareness, right? Like where it is we meet our, our limits is generally where we'll meet our limits within um, the relationships, right? Oh, and so in order to be great communicators, uh, I, th I believe it takes great self-awareness to understand like what our own constraints are, uh, where our own wounds, where our own triggers get in the way of communicating what our emotional needs are. Like, one of the 
the most common things we see in therapy is that like behind our criticisms and complaints and frustrations of our partners are really just emotional needs that aren't getting met. Mm. But without the self-awareness around that, we can't actually have the conversation that's emotional that gets to the core of it, right? right. We just are on that surface level, constantly complaining, nitpicking, uh, and just being frustrated by the things that our partner is doing or not doing. Yeah. Um, and so if I, you know, the topics, right? I mean, we can, uh, there's a lot of infidelity. There's a lot of money issues. There's a lot of people thinking about um, kind of their own careers and if those paths take them in separate directions or or do they merge together? Um, do we have children? You know, there's plenty of different topics, but right. you know, I don't know that the content of those things necessarily is as important as like the process of what we all go through in trying to communicate what it is that we actually need and want in order to to feel safe and secure and desired in this world by our partners and vice versa. Yeah. Do yeah. you have any specific sort of principles that you, that you teach or coach to in terms of communication and like obviously creating space mm -hmm. for that? You know, I think that's the hardest thing in a relationship is to kind of create the space to communicate properly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think, as uh, your last uh, interview went, like everybody should be in therapy and it's a great place to, <laughs> to, to start that. But, um, you know, there are tips and tools. And I think, I actually think we're a society um, sort of obsessed with like the, the lists, like give me five things that I can do to be a better communicator. <laughs> right. um, and, and there are certainly things that we can, that we can list and say, um, that that will help but the truth is is that if it was that easy we'd all just be doing it right yeah. like okay just follow this speak from an eye position um right. don't be critical and um like don't lead with criticism when you have something to say um manage your own defensiveness be um respectful when you're like all of these things like yes those things are all true and real and they're they're necessary but if we can't understand why that's hard for us mm. um then we're going to constantly find ourselves in the same with the same outcome and that's disconnection, not being heard, not being understood. Um, and so, so some of the, a lot of the work that I do is through the family of origin work, right? And understanding um, the families in which we grew up, um, the messages that we received around communication, let's say, since we're talking about communication now, um, you know, the, what did, what were the implicit, explicit messages that we received growing up, right? Yeah. Like, so an example would be looking at our parents and saying, how did they communicate, right? right? What did that look like? How did they resolve conflict? Um, what were the messages around gender and communication? Um, yeah. And labeling these things, because these these parts become the narratives of our lives, right? These, whether it's, it generally it's in our, kind of in our subconscious, not really in our conscious minds, but it's the, these are the narratives that are driving everything that we do and think and feel feel like if we got in trouble for speaking up when we were younger and um we're told that like ch like there's no space for children to have a say yeah. then you know it's, we might still carry that with us and not feel like we are allowed to have a voice and be heard absolutely um, so there's a lot of work in that um in understanding the messages received and then the narratives that got created from there um, before you can say hey speak from an eye position and like you know because you can <laughs> yeah. do that for so long but it runs out Right, you know, run you because you get to a point where something really hurts you, and you're like, I don't want to speak from an eye position. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you get really triggered by something, and you're like, screw this, I'm not gonna like sit here and mirror back to you what you just said and be an active listener. Like I'm pissed off, and you've really betrayed me. Yeah, right. Because when we get really hurt, all those tools and tips they go out the door pretty quickly. <laughs> exactly, right? and our natural default of totally of upbringing controls the. The, yeah. the frame and mm -hmm. I think it's really difficult to jump out of that frame mm -hmm. you know I mean I find it with myself all the time you know yeah. I grew up in a very conservative Christian home that mm -hmm. was very suppressed in a certain mm -hmm. state of you know my dad showed up every day all the time like you know when he was angry he would get really quiet and withdrawn mm -hmm. and so like I took with that a you know I walked away with like a, a fear of, of judgment from mm -hmm. that and so now that like likes me in mm -hmm. all these other interactions sure. throughout my life sure so it's it's really interesting and in like breaking that frame yeah is... without without that self-awareness then 
when somebody important to you gets quiet and closed off, right, your internal system is going to respond to it mm -hmm. really without you maybe even noticing, mm -hmm. right? But even, I mean, we're not in a therapy session right, right now. It's right, like, right. wait, what, where are we going here with this? <laughs> um, but, you know, even that awareness of like, this was my experience and this is what I learned in that space. Like it's, it's in us, yeah. you know, like we just have to be aware of it. You can't wipe that out. But it is interesting to think about like when you see people get quiet and close off when they're hurt or when something's going on. Like, yeah. how do you react and respond well, to yeah, that? Well, yeah, and then I go and I do that now. Like, yeah. that's how my mode of operation, uh -huh. which frustrates me. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, because then I'm just like flashbacks of, yeah. of growing up. Yeah, like, I don't want to be this way. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. But, you know, it's like something that, like, mm -hmm. Stacey and I were talking about is, like, you become aware of your, you know, you become self-aware, mm -hmm. right? And then and of, of these things that, mm -hmm. you know, you discover about yourself how do you like how do you break them if they're so, so woven in your subconscious yeah it's really tough um the subconscious is a funky little place you know it's uh there's a there's a lot of research dr bruce lipton um mm -hmm. is someone I, i've been reading up on a a bit and uh it's it's really fascinating like what the research is is showing that like 95 to 99 percent of everything we think believe feel like say all of it comes from a non-conscious space most of that being our subconscious so when you just think about that number you think what are we actually choosing like right. what are we actually giving permission to mm. i talk about permission a lot in my um in my sessions and uh what his research also shows that we accrue, uh, accrue most of that between the ages of zero and seven. Mm. So, so a double non-permission, right? Like, right. cause at four, I sure it wasn't saying like, yeah, I feel really strongly about like, you know, we, it gets passed down, yeah. right? What we believe gets passed down, whether it's from our families, society, teachers, coaches, whomever. Um, and so our job as adults now, um, for, at least from, from how I see it is to go into that space and really check those messages to see what it is we actually believe versus what it is we've been told and deciphering between the two. It takes a lot of work, right? This is not easy stuff, but it takes work to uh, pause. I talk about respecting the pause a lot too, um, to pause in our moments to say, okay, I'm going to rumble down into my subconscious to see what I know about this. Like, where have I felt this before? Yeah. What are the stories I know about this? Where have I experienced this before? What have I seen? What are the messages that I received, verbal or nonverbal? And yeah. we dig and we rummage through that and we lift that up into our conscious mind for a period of time, mm -hmm. you know, for the time that we need it. Um, and hopefully in that space, we uh, get some information that yeah. is valuable for us in that moment. And then it falls back down again, Yeah. right? But the process of doing that, of pausing of saying like what do i know about this what have i experienced when have i experienced this before what's coming up for me where did i see this mm -hmm. doing that that it, it, it strengthens that gateway to be able to pause and then sink into that space bring up what we need and then let it go again because we can't hold it in right. our conscious minds yeah right we can't it's too much yeah so we use it and then and then drop it back down again and hopefully um, slowly repro reprogram it. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it, right? The yeah. more that we do it, the more that we pause, um, the better we get at it. Mm. And in many ways, it's it's sort of just, you know, muscle memory, right? right. Like, yeah, you know, for anybody, you know, sports or you know, it's like, you might not be great with your non-dominant side, but you do it over and over and over again until you get better at it. And yeah. it's hard work, but you put <laughs> it in because it's it, it, it's so worth it. Yeah. Like it's required. <laughs> totally. You know? <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, the older you get, the more, the harder, it, you know, it gets. So you have okay. to do a lot, a lot more work to yeah. un unravel these things. For sure. So uh, tell me more about permission. You you, ta you talked a little bit about permissions and like yeah. giving yourself permission. Mm -hmm. uh, what does that mean? Yeah. I think one of the biggest ones for me, um, I do talk a lot about our role um, within relationships and mm -hmm. first and foremost, our role within our family system. I always go back to family systems. Um, that's where it all starts for me in, yeah. in the work. Um, and so understanding what our role was, uh, within that family system. And so whether you were an only child, which is what I was, um, 
uh, or you were the eldest, you know, whether people subscribe to like birth order or not, um, you know, people still have roles within the system in order to make the system function at its best. Right. right? Um, I like to think of it just sort of as everybody being their own individual screw into the system. Right. And if the screw becomes loosened too much, we fear that the system will shake too much. Um, So if you had a sibling who had special needs, maybe your role was to make sure that you didn't add any extra stress for your parents. Um, Or maybe you were the oldest son and uh, your father left and it was on you to take on the kind of male role within the family and take care of things and like make sure that your younger siblings were fed and and that you just took a load off of... uh, you know, your, your mom's side or something like that. Right. So, so just as examples for people to start thinking about what their role might've been, um, for me as an only child, a part of my experience was, um, like as they went through their divorce, a part of my role was to make sure that I was okay. Um, because I saw them not, Mm um, and, and so (laughs) classic Vienna, uh, staple was, uh, like, I'm fine. Um, like, uh, just everything I was always fine yeah. and and from that space I I also just tried to get really good at everything you yeah. know like I just good at school good at violin good at sports good at you know just achieved and, and was very good at it um, so that there was no like disruption to the system because I think subconsciously I thought oh gosh like if I add any stressor to this system yeah. it'll break which is so faulty because it was already broken and like <laughs> in flames but um, you know that's a that's a role that we take on and so for me where this kind of permission piece comes in is that oftentimes the role that we that we had as children is a role that comes along with us into our adult lives and mm. into our uh, relationships, our romantic relationships. And um, I saw that play out in former uh, relationships in which I um, would often say that I was fine when I wasn't or that something was okay when it actually wasn't. Yeah. And I realized at a certain point that I was recreating that mm. um, that role and that yeah. I wasn't giving my permi- myself permission to step out of that role, that it wasn't for me anymore. I Got didn't it. need to be in that space anymore. Um, I didn't need to be the glue that held certain things together. Yeah. If the system was going to shake, let it because there's other adults up as a part of the system and they're responsible for their side of it, right? right? So it was such a good kind of growth lesson for me. And I find that giving ourselves permission to step out of these roles that we think we have to be in in order to make sure that the system doesn't shake too much um, is so helpful because we can start to step into our own vulnerability and honor what it is that we actually want and need mm. in relationships, Um I'm much much better at asking for what I what I need now, um, and I have a wonderful partner who um, hears it and connects to it um, yeah. so well. But um, yeah, that like that's one of the biggest permission pieces is like stepping outside of the role that we thought was once for us that yeah. that doesn't have to be for us anymore because it's it happens at the expense of us yeah. often. Does that make sense? Like like I'm in this role to make sure that everybody else is okay at the expense of me. Yeah. It's not cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right, like absolutely. that doesn't that doesn't work, and it doesn't serve uh, relationships well either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it also sounds like it takes a little bit of work to kind of dive in and figure out what that role, yeah, is for you. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, now you talked to I rewind a little bit. Mm-hmm. You talked about coming from I. Mm-hmm. Um, love to hear a little bit bigger of an explanation of that. Sure. Um, so oftentimes when we criticize or complain about our partners, we're telling them about them. Mm-hmm. You do this or you don't do this. Um, and when people hear that, it shuts them down immediately. You're going to put people on the defensive because um, they want to protect. And mm-hmm. pre- like, I'm not bad, right? Yeah. Like, we don't want to feel bad. Um, and so when we come from an I position, uh, what it shifts to is ownership of the experience, right? I felt betrayed or I felt let down or I didn't feel prioritized when uh, mm. and then fill in the blank, right? Whatever, whatever it is. Um, but it allows for us to own our own vulnerability um, and it invites our partner into kind of hearing that without needing to be defensive. Um, Dr. John Gottman, who's a relationship researcher out mm. in Seattle, um, his research uh, has shown kind of like the four indicators of relationship failure. Um, 
and they are criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. And so when those th pieces are constantly present in our relationships, it's it's near impossible to have uh, right. a healthy relationship. Now, before people start freaking out, like we are all critical, we are all like we've we've all done those things at at one point or another. But when that is the way in which we interact with our our partners or or family members or friends, like there's no way for the relationship to thrive. So when we are uh, like leading with criticism, right? You do this, you do that, you're not enough, da, 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 whatever. And then responding with defensiveness, which those two sort of go hand in hand, yeah. um, you can't go anywhere. So when we shift into the I position, it creates a space mm. for people to be heard without feeling like they're on the attack. Um, it still takes work though, right? Like it's yeah. not just that simple, um, but it's a, it's a major shift that people uh, make that can be really helpful within conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it definitely like disarms, I think it does, but it takes a lot of practice. It does. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is it, right? Like this is the work. If we, you think about it, like we're decades into our lives and we've been doing it a certain way for so long, right? So to just say, oh, just do this. That's why I don't really love the lists because it's like, no, it's ingrained in us. Like this is this is our way of doing it. And even if it's wrong, it takes so much work to rewire yeah. our systems to operate um, differently in a healthier way. Yeah. Uh, but it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth it. It's so worth it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just definitely, I mean, that's a lot of work for sure. Yeah. You know, what have you noticed in couples that that have more of an entrepreneur nature mm -hmm. in terms of you know balancing relationship and balancing you know mm -hmm. work slash money slash um, yeah. all of that stuff because i think that can uh, especially in that frame yeah i mean I, I i i do find often you know this is not for everyone and it, it's also not limited to entrepreneurs either um but generally with entrepreneurs you find people who are pretty passionate about what it is they're doing. Most of the time they're invested in a, um, uh, like their creativity or whatever their startup is. Um, and, and, and they love it, you know, like it's sure it's hard work, but, um, it's not just for the money or it's not, you know, it's some, it's for, certainly some people, yes, but right. I would say for, for, for most people, it's not. And and so in that space, what you see within relationships is that there's a, um, a strong sense of admiration in each other. Like that's one of the things that um, is such a core component of healthy relationships is having an admiration for your partner. Mm -hmm. And so when you have an entrepreneur who is excited about what it is they're putting out into the world and they're passionate about it and they speak about it and they get excited about it, like you're, you are witnessing your partner like thriving and in their element. And when we admire our, our partners in that way, like desire grows, um, and it's just something that bonds people, I think, because you look at the, your partner and you're like, you're cool. You know, like yeah. you are rad and like what you're doing is amazing. Yeah. Um, so I think that that piece is really um, prevalent in in the kind of like entrepreneur relationships that you're talking about. Um, but again, it's true for for any relationship in which you see your partner like loving what they're doing. And you look at them, and you're like, oh, I respect you and I admire what you're putting out into this world. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of the entrepreneurs are putting out a lot of creative, cool stuff. So you can definitely see it <laughs> down that lane. Yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, have you run into situations where? the balance of the relationship is off because of entrepreneurship because mm. like it takes, it requires so much time and requires yeah. so much energy. Like how mm. do you coach um, people mm -hmm. into creating that balance? Yeah. It can be tougher when it's only one partner who is an entrepreneur yeah. Um, because yeah, it does. It takes, it depends where they are in, in their kind of journey of it. But um, yeah, so many hours being logged in, in that world and, oftentimes, um, you know, a partner might not feel prioritized in that mm -hmm. space. And that can be really tough. Um, the, you know, we do need to find ways to prioritize our relationships and put them, uh, before our work. Um, I think a lot of times I, I remember reading this, I think it was in the way of the superior man, um, that, that, we want to be the most important people in our partner's lives. Mm -hmm. Being the most important thing 
is doesn't have to be it, right? But just being the most important person in our partner's life is what really matters. And so there might be a passion project or there might be this, you know, the startup, like that might be the most important thing, mm-hmm. um, but that we're still creating uh, time uh, to prioritize the partnership. It's required. I mean, I think one of the things that I sort of coach people towards in, in when that's the when that's the case is finding like at least 10 to 15 minutes of time, uninterrupted time, where we just connect with each other. We actually don't need a ton of time in order to feel connected. It just needs to be uninterrupted time. I just did a um, newsletter uh, around technology and relationships. Um, and one of the things that I had written there, research that I had read, uh, is that even when we our phones are turned over, um, our partners still perceive us to be distracted. So even when our phones are like on the table across but and they're turned over and you're not seeing the flashing light come up because a notification came in, we are still perceiving our partners to be distracted and mm. not totally tuned in with us. And so oftentimes I'll talk to clients about like shutting it down, like removing the self, any, anything, any technology, turning the TVs off, putting the tablets away, putting the cell phones away, move, like moving it out of your space. So it's just you together with your partner and mm-hmm. totally like in it um, with one another so that it feels prioritized, even if it's just 10, 15 minutes. Um, but the reality of it is, is that people are super busy. And um, especially in the entrepreneur world, um, people are spending tons of hours you know they get home from work and then they keep working for hours you know and that's just that's the reality of it for a period of time um but that we still have to create that time and space in order for our partners to feel um prioritized yeah Yeah, yeah. Yeah. love it so how how do you how do you kind of set those expectations or set those create a a space and and let your partner know that they are the priority yeah and and then be able to take the time for yourself yeah, I mean, I think it, there's just so much transparency that has to happen, and it really requires vulnerability as well. I think that if we are people who are like, I don't want to be the needy girlfriend, or I don't want to be, you know, like we start um, just like deflating what it is that we actually need, like then we're going to feel really disappointed at the end of it, right? Like we have to be so transparent and honest and vulnerable with ourselves and with our partners in order to say like, listen, this is the way that I feel most loved. Are you familiar with the five love languages? Yeah, I haven't read it, but I know yeah. the gist of it. Yeah, so um, the research shows the that we give and receive love in um, these five different ways. And uh, it's a free quiz that everybody can take. So you guys should (laughs) definitely do it um, because it shows you what your primary and secondary love languages are, um, the ways in which we feel most loved. And doing that is so helpful within a relationship dynamic because you can then communicate to your partner what it is that really lands for you. Because God forbid you have only a certain amount of time and your partner is trying to love you through acts of service, but really all you want is words of affirmation. You know, like, so the the five love languages are um, uh, acts of service, words of affirmation, physical touch, quality time, and gifts. Mm. Right. So usually we're stronger in one or two of those yeah. than the others. So yeah. if you don't have a yeah. whole lot of time and you're spending your time loving your partner <laughs> in the ways that don't <laughs> land for them, it's a pretty uh, pretty good way to miss the miss the mark. Um, so I think being able to communicate what it is that we need, what it is that fills us up. Um, yeah. You know, 15 minutes of just quality time, or like 15 minutes of um, just like laying on the sofa together if it's physical touch and like just being connected that way. It doesn't always have to be sex and intimacy mm-hmm. um, through sex, but um, those types of things can can really help. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Love that. Yeah. Now, I want to dive a little bit more into, uh, I guess, individual, uh, you know, especially mm-hmm. in, the, in the way that it relates to uh, self-worth, creativity, mm-hmm. and entrepreneurship. Uh, because I think that there's, you know, for me, I went through a process where I, I really realized like how much of my self-worth was came through like who I was shooting and what I was shooting mm, as, mm-hmm. as a photographer, yeah, as sure. a, an, as an artist. And sure. when that stuff started to slow down, it really, you know, I, it took a hit for me, mm-hmm. you know, with my self-worth. And I'm sure a lot of people listening here will probably deal with that themselves because sure. our business, our like as an artist making mm-hmm. a living as an artist is mm-hmm. really difficult in that sense that you yeah. you lose the security you don't know when the next check is coming you know and that's all related to your own 
vision of sure. and how much your vision is getting purchased in a certain sense mm -hmm. you know and and is commercially viable sure what advice would you give to people who mm -hmm. are kind of feeling that yeah i mean i think so many of us are attached to outcomes mm -hmm. and whatever that outcome is, right? We'd fill in the blank, right? What does outcome mean to you? Whether it's uh, likes on an Instagram post, <laughs> whether it's like the clientele uh, you're working with, um, but like whatever it is that is making us feel good about ourselves or propping us up, right? Like that's, that's the outcome. Mm -hmm. And it's so, you know, listen, our culture, it's so easy to get caught in that space, right? I am, I am good when I have hit, you know, 4,000 likes on a post or I am no good if I don't, um, <laughs> yeah. I am, if I am not married by 30, uh, like who's going to want me? And right, so so when we become attached to outcomes, we really get led astray. Um, and but it's hard to it's hard to negotiate with yeah. it because it's so in our faces. And especially when like like you said, like uh, the check that's coming in, like our ability to you know provide for ourselves or our partners or our families is is tied into that. Um, it it can get really tricky for us. I think the the pro you know the i know that at the end of the day everybody needs to make a living and everybody wants to feel feel good about themselves but i think it's getting into the core of like what actually makes you feel like i'm a i'm a good man or i'm a good woman and um like is that knowing that i'm operating within integrity or is it that i uh am practicing my patience is it right. that i'm like like really because if we go into the outcome space mm -hmm. um it just it just takes us so far away from ourselves and the things that are um that are really probably most important in our lives i think when we are putting all of the marbles into the outcome of like, well, what's most important in my life is like how much my paycheck is or like, uh, like who my clients are or like that's, that's then everything in your life is dependent upon that. Like you don't have peace within, right? Like it's like, then it's just dependent on who the client is or how, how much you're making or what, like that is what defines whether or not you are at peace with yourself. And if you're feeling free, is too much power to hand over to something outside of you. Yeah, right? absolutely. So the pra I mean, I think that the practice of finding peace within oneself is so important, whether it's through meditation, whether you go to therapy, whether you're working out, whether you're labeling, labeling the things that are most important to your life and the way in which you want to live that life. Um, like those are the things that can't be knocked over. Mm -hmm. You don't want to put power in something that can be stripped from you. Yeah. Right. That and that's hard to do because I think our our society do, does that quite <laughs> exactly. often. But when you do it, it just gets it gets taken. It gets it when it does get taken, we don't know where to turn. Right. Right. And often in that space, we don't choose <laughs> we don't choose very well. Yeah. Right. When we're low, um, and we're trying to climb back up for the wrong reasons for the outcome. Yeah. Uh, we usually uh, cut corners and do things that we are not super proud of. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, especially in like so the social media state yeah. of today, like <clears throat> there is so much mm -hmm. self-worth that we're, it was funny. We were joking. I was joking with a friend that we should like do a screenshot of Instagram and change the like button to like self-worth point. <laughs> so good. Uh huh. <laughs> and, yeah. And I think that happens like, especially in the younger generation where totally. it's like so much about that that validation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well now that instagram has changed their algorithm it's less of a self-worth thing and more of like a well it's the algorithm <laughs> right you do that <laughs> totally and you're like what yeah <laughs> why is instagram doing this to me yeah, <laughs> yeah. so funny exactly uh -huh. so i mean what are what are some things i mean you mentioned med meditation and therapy yeah. and different things but what are some things that people can do to like recognize the buckets of happiness that that, mm -hmm. that fill them up outside of results and outside of of that. Yeah. Um, I love the, we are, have you heard this quote that we are the average of the five people we keep closest to us? I have. Jim Rohn. Yes. I love, that's one of my favorites. One of my favorites. Um, I think I actually, I think it's one of Danielle's favorites too. She and I connected <laughs> over that as well. Um, and I think it's so important for us to sort of like take inventory of our lives. Um, every like, I don't know, do it every month. Like who am I keeping around? What feels good and why? Mm -hmm. And am I okay with the why? 
right? It's, you know, am I living my life in such a way that I do feel proud of it, that I'm excited to share this with the people around me? I think having the core five is super important. Mm -hmm. um, and they should be people from different walks of life um, who probably pull out different parts of you. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know about you, but for me, like I have different people in my life who like different sides of me come out of um yeah you know like absolutely. with some people i'm super goofy um and playful with other people i'm um maybe more like direct and straightforward and some of the conversations are more like on the intellectual level um and and it's so nice to have areas in which i can just like jump into those different parts of myself and have them be expressed um so keeping those people around you is so important and um checking those people to be like is this person like is what this person do is what they are doing something that i feel good about like is that who i want to be more like this person yeah. if you don't want to be more like this person it's not a good person to be keeping around <laughs> yeah. right like it's not a good person to have in your core five so definitely checking that but then just doing that inventory of like um so it, we've done like this kind of split between wellness. So like for the self wellness, so whether it's meditation, what you're eating, um, how you're working out, um, work, job, profession, career, entrepreneurship, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, relationships. Um, so romantic or family. And then some people will put in like a, um, kind of like spiritual or religious practice too. you know, you can figure out what your kind of like cylinders are. Yeah. Um, but checking those cylinders each day to say like, what have I done today to contribute to this part of my life that lifts me up and actually feels good? Um, and like just every day I set reminders on my phone that just pop up, yeah. um, throughout the day to remind me to like <laughs> some silly stuff is like drink more water. Uh, but like those <laughs> types of things where you're just like checking yourself to say like, what would feel better? It would feel better for me to go to bed earlier. And yeah, I have a really hard time going to bed earlier, but that's something that like I want to start putting into practice and really holding myself accountable to. Yeah. So it's just like, we have to sometimes be our own accountability meter. If we have a partner, sometimes they can help us with it or like just a pal who wants to do this with you, mm -hmm. but checking the things that are going to fill up, uh, like fill up your cup. Cause when you're running on empty, it's hard for you to give to yourself and others. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, it's definitely, there was that, what's that quote where it's like, um, talks about being like taking care of your taking care of yourself yeah. first to be able to take care of others yeah you can't pour from an empty cup exactly yeah there's probably plenty <laughs> yeah. of of quotes like that but yeah it's so true um a client of mine uh and i keep a sticky note on one of my uh tables in here uh, that i've moved but um it, he got this uh information from uh some guy in new york city a long time ago and he just said after me you come first and i love that and i know sometimes that triggers some people oh, i should get you know no you shouldn't be first that's selfish so but it's so true like if you're not taking care of yourself there's no way that you can show up as your best self for others absolutely 100 percent agree with that yeah i love it after me you come first mm. mm -hmm. that's great is that on your Instagram? Somewhere? No, but I think I might make it into Probably, a meme. Yeah, I yeah. might have to use, <laughs> yeah. use that. I really, right. I, I really like yeah. that. That's that's a great. Uh -huh. I mean, I'll do a hand drawn quote of that. Right, be really cool. Right. Um. So now tell me, like, what kind of you know, as an entrepreneur yourself, what kind mm -hmm. of challenges do you do you face? Um. Yeah. I, I mean, guess yeah. Between whatever personal life and yeah. and balancing your sure. I mean, it's such a cool intersection. I feel so blessed to be able to be a therapist and do what I really love to do and add the entrepreneurial side to things. I think a lot of times therapists are not seen as entrepreneurs. Um, and, and that's probably true because probably most, most therapists are not. Um, but I love merging the two because it helps me stay like creative and super active in in the work like I don't know if I would burn out if I wasn't doing the entrepreneurial stuff but I might mm -hmm. and I, I would imagine it, it would it would come sooner rather than later if I wasn't uh, coming up with new innovative things that really got me excited and that were landing for other people um, one of the things that I that I love to do is merge um, working out uh, with therapy and I was fortunate enough to be able to dig into that a little bit in grad school I had a supervisor who uh, was about it and was super supportive and um, 
I would, with a couple of my clients, I would uh, run with them and then we would stop and do our therapy session and then we'd run back. And it was so transformative. I think I mentioned it to you when we met. Um, So transformative. And I, I love the idea of merging the two. And so finding ways to do that, we did a, um, a joint a class with Taryn Toomey, um, her the class, um, and followed it up with a therapeutic discussion immediately afterwards. And I just love the idea of like you capitalizing of the release of endorphins, serotonin, dopamine, um, and then processing emotionally uh, immediately following so that our mood is elevated, that we're not as emotionally flooded in a way that blocks us. Um, so, you know, doing those things, doing retreats, um, social media has just been such a beautiful blessing for me because I've just met such cool people who have uh, really afforded me the opportunities to create programs like I've created a program for motherly and doing a a program for uh, mind sale which is a mindfulness like wellness app um just like merging with with people and doing cool projects like it's it's really amazing and it brings people in um, because people want to try new things that make sense to them yeah, I love yeah. that. So is that, what What do you consider your creative outlet in your life? Yeah, I mean, I working out is is probably, Danielle asked me in, in my interview with her, like, what would I be if I wasn't uh, a therapist? And I said, well, either an entrepreneur, which I'd like to claim a little bit of that, um, or an athlete. Yeah. Um, I love sport. And um, I've played probably almost every sport uh, imaginable um, growing up. And um, it's such a release. You know, people talk about like what's their meditative state besides meditation. Um, And like for me, it's playing sports. Like in that space, I just feel there's nothing else that's going on. You know, it's like you're just you're in it. And you're so connected, uh, or I feel so connected to myself. And so when I, I go boxing, uh, I was playing a lot of a lot of football before I uh, got my nose broken a few oh, months man. ago. <laughs> um, but like just doing those types of things, I played lacrosse in college and, and love when I can get out on the field again. Um, but that's that's where the creativity comes. Like it's where so many ideas, I mean, you're disconnected, but you also get so many ideas in that space too. Um, and it feels so free flowing and it's the thing that creates probably the most amount of peace for me. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 So from a therapist perspective, what do you think creativity does, uh, for the soul or for Mm. like from, for a person? Yeah. I mean, I think it's like the peace and freedom aspect, right? Like we've got all of these, narratives that are going right that inner self-critic that's constantly yapping at us right telling us everything that we're doing wrong or where we're not good enough or this isn't enough or that isn't enough and so when we find whatever it is that our creativity might be for me and I think for for my clients for the people I talk to it's a release from from that right it's our peace and our freedom from that self-critic that's generally constantly going and we're working overtime to make sure that we feel like crap um but creativity uh is for me the release of that critic and the invitation for peace and freedom and connection yeah i love that yeah because i'm you know i'm actually working on a book Mm. around the idea of creating creativity great you know it's it's a book on creating your moments essentially but you know marrying kind of the principles of creativity and personal development yeah. and kind of the idea that like anyone can create, you sure. know, they don't have to, you don't have to be an artist to be no. a creator. Mm-hmm. Um, but the state, the, the state of creation, mm-hmm. what that state of creation does for you mm-hmm. as a, mm-hmm. as a fulfillment aspect. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because I think it, it you can, you have to be careful about like the validation, um, of others versus like, this is for me, right? Like that I feel free and at peace with this versus like I'm creating something that's going to be really great for other people. Cause I can get caught up in that too. I think it's so easy for all of us to be like, Oh, I'm doing something cool and everybody's going to love it. And that feels good. Right. Cause we get like a positive narrative comes in. Like when we are in our creative flow um, and we're feeling really good about what we're coming up with and like, Oh, this is going to be the next big big thing or a lot of that is based on the external validation of other people are going to really like this this is going to be you know so being really careful about like that the peace and freedom is for the self right Um, and And not for the ego yeah oh yeah that that ego likes to creep in there whenever (laughs) it can and it's it's hard to manage it but um that's where the pausing really helps Mm. you know really slowing in grounding down into that space say like okay for me for nobody else 
create yeah. every day even if it sucks yeah <laughs> i mean that's when i that's how i started my instagram account i i thought okay i'll just post one thing uh every day and if one person sees it and one person has a shift in their thinking then like that's the success yeah and it grew from there but yeah um, so tell me more about the instagram like yeah. what where does the content come from? Do you write? Do you, you know, what's yeah. the uh, kind of philosophy behind it? Totally. Um, so I either post my own quotes or quotes of other people, just quotes that I find to be impactful for me. Um, I, I I need to be moved by the quote in order for me to to put it up there. Yeah. Um, and I there's no real order to it. Uh, whatever I'm feeling that day. I just put up there and there's no order to my caption. I literally just start writing in the caption of Instagram itself. Like I don't organize it outside of it and like <laughs> drag it and paste it in there. Like yeah. I just, I just flow. And maybe it comes from something that I was talking about in session. Maybe it's something that's going on in my own personal life. Um, but yeah, like that's, it's just like, I just, I just go and I flow and um, I try to get people to think about things for, through a new lens, different perspective. Um, as we were talking about before, for me, obviously, everything comes back to like your our family systems and, um, yeah. you know, thinking about uh, things that we might not think about. So introducing uh, some of those ideas to the people who are who are following and uh yeah, that's what it looks like. I, you know, it's, and then I post, I love it. <laughs> you I know, love I post well. and I try to interact with the people who are commenting and, um, you know, give them a shout if they're, they're leaving a message and yeah. 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 I mean, it, it looks, you've been building it great. It's, yeah, thanks. it seems like it's affecting a lot of people. Yeah, it is. It, you know, it's really, it's really special. People reach out quite often and um you know they'll send me messages or they'll email me at a point in time and they'll say you know i've been following you for x months or years and um and then we'll share a story and and how it's like really shifted their lives and um you know it's it's their own work right like it's not this is not about like oh i helped so many like i don't i don't see myself as oh i'm helping people right like it's a collaborative which is interesting because it's you know with instagram it it's very <laughs> impersonal but um you know it still winds up being this collaborative approach right yeah. everybody on the other side of that screen is choosing to engage with me in a very different way but they're choosing to engage right i'm putting something out to be heard and yeah. they're deciding to read it and listen to it and uh throw it around and toss it around and see what they can make of it and yeah. from that they make decisions for themselves right so if it becomes an invitation to do something that's great but um they're totally helping themselves and uh, finding answers themselves. But it's very kind and sweet and it's appreciated uh, when people reach out because it's uh, nice to remember that there are other people like humans on the other side yeah. of that screen who are really being impacted by um, the the effort because it does take a lot of time and energy yeah. to do it, yeah, you know? Absolutely. So yeah, it's neat. Yeah, I mean, it's in a sense like putting the vulnerability out there totally. as well. And, yeah. You know, I, I just read the book, Daring Greatly. So good. Yeah, great. Yeah. Pounded it out while I was uh, on I'm an audio uh -huh. book guy and I was listening to it. Yeah. A while. It Have you watched her TED talk? Uh, I think I saw it a, yeah. a while back, but yeah. I had to go back and like. That's a great TED talk. Again, yeah. The Brené Brown's uh, vulnerability one. Yeah. Absolutely. And it connects people more than it does. You know, <sighs> as hard as it is, it, yeah. it's actually very connecting. Totally. But yeah. So now in with the Instagram, what kind of. Um, opportunities has it provided you you know really really everything <laughs> thank you instagram um you know so many clients have come in um to the practice through instagram like again it's like we were talking before about like what makes a good therapist um and like what an interesting uh, process it is to to choosing one and i think what's been so cool about instagram um for a lot of people who have come into the practice is that they've been following me for you know a period of time and they've gotten to know a bit of like how i think and and what i believe and um you know just how i process certain things and so they feel like they already have an understanding of who i am so yeah. for them they're like okay this person's okay you know like right, i like right, what right, they're right. doing and they're okay and they um and, and, and like it resonates with me. And I think that that creates a lot of safety and security for a client coming in because it's such a vulnerable experience and it's you're walking into the unknown. It's this one-sided relationship in which like this person you've just met is learning everything about you and you're learning nothing about them. Um, it's a funky relationship when you really think about yeah. it. Um, and so for them, I think it's being able to get um, a peek 
into uh, their therapist's mind and world a bit um, and then say like, okay, like this person's safe enough and I, uh, I think I like them and yeah. I'm going to reach out. So, so on, on the client level, like we've probably gotten a hundred to 150 clients through Instagram. Wow. Uh, yeah. And that's people who come, you know, week in, week out and uh, at different, you know, for different yeah. chunks of time. But, you know, that's a lot of people coming in and saying like, oh, I feel so like it, it's established for me. Like you're safe enough. Yeah. We get a lot of people who reach out from out of state. Um, and so, you know, we can't work with people who are outside of the state of New York. Um since we're licensed here only yeah. um but people will then fly in to do work wow. so they'll come for like an intensive weekend um and you know they'll have like two days of therapy um wow. where it's a lot yeah yeah there's been there have been a uh, a few few times where it's been like you know 36 hours of therapy in like three and a half days it's like oh my god <laughs> yeah. it's uh everybody's wow. like that sounds horrible um and it's so so transformative it's like it's really incredible i mean i think that the work over time is is powerful and oftentimes it needs to be taken in bits and pieces um but but sometimes for for some people uh what is right is to do this intensive uh intensive therapy and yeah. they come in and they're like okay i'm ready like let's do it i'll so give it to like me. A, yeah. a program yeah it. yeah yeah oh, wow. it's really cool so so that has come in um the opportunity, you know, just interviews, podcasts, me you know, meeting you, like meeting, just meeting people that you'd probably never meet yeah. um, and then creating with them. You know, like what I mentioned before earlier today, the um, the merge between Taryn Toomey and I and we did the her workout class and then I um, led a therapeutic discussion immediately following. Um, Taryn was following me on Instagram and we linked up that way. Um, you know, doing, creating programs, uh, you know, somebody will be following me and say like hey like can you put together a like 12 week program for uh, like how to get the love that you want or how to wow. you know like things like that mm -hmm. um so yeah i mean just endless opportunities i met some of my best friends through instagram um i met my partner through like an extension of <laughs> instagram <laughs> and that like my best friend um in that way so yeah it's really it's been a total blessing i love that yeah i love that so now if somebody wanted to go out and get a therapist yeah. what's the a the best way of doing that how do you find the right what, what makes a good therapist sure like sure. how does that look yeah you know some people will work for some people and some and and, and for others it, it won't and um i think therapy it really is the balance and merging of the art and science of it you can mm. really understand theory and can conceptualize things really well but if you don't know how to talk to people or your delivery is is a bit off um it won't work and if you're mm. just like good at speaking and listening but don't really have much to back it in terms yeah. of um theory and research and all of that then it's probably going to fall short too um you know i, I do think so I have always said that um, a therapist can only take their clients as far as they've taken themselves. Mm. Um, and it's what's so cool about like keeping us accountable and keeping us doing the work. Like you can't, you can't fake it. You know, this is a, this is a field in which you cannot just like talk the talk. Like right. you literally have to be doing the work. And um, when I feel stuck with a client, automatically I know I have to do work on myself in that space oh wow yeah and it's such a cool it's like a it's it's so cool it's such a good indicator um and uh but so in that you know it it's it takes time it doesn't mean that new therapists are are not uh good therapists a lot of new therapists are great therapists um yeah. and they're <laughs> so so <laughs> excited about the field and like they're put they're putting a lot of work and time and energy into it but you know a therapist certainly a therapist is, who has put in their own work i i tell people to like you know you interview your therapist before you you meet with them and right. you know ask questions like are you in therapy yourself or like do you you know like how far do you feel like you know you've gone and i know these sometimes these are personal questions but um you know getting to know a person you know for the 10 minute phone call that you can you can get before you schedule a session yeah. to just say like you know how just asking the questions that allows you to feel connected to this person what are some of those questions yeah i mean i think so different certain certain therapists uh work with different um theories you know sometimes people feel like will only be a cbt therapist, like a cognitive behavioral therapist or um they work within a certain model um for me, I pull from a few different ones. Um, so I think 
oftentimes when you do your research ahead of time, like looking up the model in which uh, your therapist works um, mm-hmm. and seeing if that model lands for you yeah. is can be really helpful. Because um, if you're like, oh, that like that does not, I do not want to be like laying down on the sofa <laughs> and like only talking about like our transference and countertransference or you know things like that. You're like, okay, that's probably not the. Th- n- n- maybe not the therapist for me right now. Also, sometimes that can be exactly the therapist for you when you right, want to avoid. Right. Um, but I think just hearing a person's voice and connecting with them is a really good start point, right? Yeah. It's just like having a conversation and feeling like, is this like, is there a flow there? Mm-hmm. Um, someone who, you know, therapy is, what I said before is a bit tricky in that the relationship is really one-sided. You know, like you have boundaries around your relationship and the, uh, the therapist is learning everything about the client and the client is learning very, very little (laughs) about the therapist. Um, but you know, we as therapists, we do self-disclose when it serves the client and, you know, being able to get into that space and have a conversation and feel like you're connected to your therapist. I've always heard clients say like when they learn like a little bit about you and they know like a little bit about what your life is, like that's actually really helpful for them. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just like you're just this like person who like, do you live this perfect life? And like, do you not have any issues or problems at all? And like being able to normalize things and just come down and be like, I don't know, for me, I think the most important is being collaborative and integrative with your approach. I always tell clients when they're coming in, like, you're the expert of your lives. I just understand relationship dynamics. Well, Mm -hmm. I'm here to like walk through that with you and like ask questions and see what we can uncover. Um, and I, you know, will lead you in a way that probably you won't lead yourself. Yeah. Um, but this collaborative approach. So I think just saying like, you know, understanding where a person's been trained for how many years. Again, I'm not so strong in that like, oh, if it's a new therapist, they can't be good. I think many are. But just realizing like, what's the work that you've done on yourself? Like what, yeah. you know, where where do you pull from? Who are your mentors? Who are the people you, who inspire you? Like learning that stuff will give you a little bit of insight into uh, who your therapist is and the work that they do. Um, and maybe just asking like, what do the sessions look like? You know, like what, what happens inside of them? We should, we should be able to answer that. Yeah. 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 Like, Oh, just come in and you'll see like, no, no, no. Like what, like what happens? (laughs) Like what, what, you know, there's no like, there's no like, Oh, okay. Here it's exactly this. And this is how it's laid out. You know, there's certain questions we can't answer. Like how many sessions do I need or you know, yeah. things like that, that we, we yeah, don't have yeah. answers to that, but we can certainly tell you like what it's going to look like a bit. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So just having a conversation. Fair enough. Yeah. See if you want to have a conversation with them again. <laughs> right? I like it. Yeah. I like it. So how does therapy mm-hmm. help you to lead and create a vibrant life of color? Mm, such a good question. Um, it is the best accountability marker for me. Like I said, I can only take my clients as far as I've taken myself. And I, this is, you know, I mentioned this in another interview that I did. And um, what clients don't realize is how much they impact our lives as therapists too. Mm-hmm. And I know that it can sometimes feel very one-sided, but it's not. Um, I learn so much yeah. from my clients. Uh, they are some of the best teachers I've ever met in my life. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's it, where I feel blocked in therapy is where I know my work is. And it can only happen through being in therapy and it can only happen with my clients. And it's, it's just like that relationship is what allows me to continue to do the work on myself. I mean, I'd love to think that I'd hold myself accountable outside of this as well, but you know, it holds me so accountable to it because I want to be able to be that person for them and, um, lead them and have those conversations that will help them uncover what it is that they need to uncover. And so what leads a vibrant life for me is like continuing the self-awareness, continuing the work, doing that, addressing it, confronting it. Because when I do that, then I am better. Yeah. You know, I'm better. And they show me where my blocks are. Um, They don't know this. You guys do. (laughs) But they show me where my blocks are. And it is what keeps propelling me forward. And because of that, I feel generally, you know, at peace and uh, connected and free. And like, it's just, it's so exciting for me. I love the work that I do. I feel so blessed by it. My clients are awesome. Um, and they are really the greatest teachers and just keep pushing me along. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And now take that idea 
and you to somebody who's maybe thinking about therapy yeah like how would you describe how therapy can let them lead a creative life yeah. Powerful life. yeah yeah i mean i think that in therapy you know the hope is that we are unlocking the constraints right mm. we're lifting the blocks in our lives you know that's the point of coming in is to start talking about our story and understanding yeah. our story differently understanding where it keeps us stuck and and so when we enter into therapy you know my goal is to you know start unlocking the the constraints and not living from a space of fear right choosing being aware being connected to leaning into vulnerability, asking for what we need, um, becoming great partners, like all of these things. And when we're doing that work, we are inching ourselves closer to joy and uh, connectedness, um, intimacy. You know, it's it's this work is the most powerful work that we can do. Self-awareness, connecting to ourselves, releasing ourselves from the roles that keep us stuck, understanding our patterns and why we choose people and why we keep, you know, keep choosing the same type of person that keeps, you know, we keep feeling so hurt and betrayed and abandoned in that space. And like actually like leaning in to have the conversations and connect to the answers that are trying to work their way up to our conscious mind so that we can start choosing differently. You know, like when we can start choosing differently is when we can start having joy in our life. Cause when we keep choosing the same stuff over and over again, that brings in sadness and hurt and betrayal and abandonment and all of that, you know, you can't live a vibrant life like that. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty damp and, um, you know, it's just black and white. Absolutely. Right. I love that. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, one last question that I'd love sure. to a- ask all my guests is what does the phrase live inspiration mean to you? Live inspiration. Um, is this where Danielle got stuck to? I don't I, yeah, I remember. <laughs> I feel like I saw her post something about like, you've never heard me be silent before. Um, live inspiration. You know, I think it's just leading with what, well, yeah, I don't want us to sound so like corny and straightforward, but like leading with um, what it is that inspires you and wakes you up, leading with what it is you want people to like mirror in you, mm-hmm. to be inspiring, um, to be inspired, to be a teacher, to be a um, student. Yeah, I'm just, I'm processing through this answer as I'm, I'm talking <laughs> right it. now. This is not actually my <laughs> answer right now. I'm just talking out loud. Um, live inspiration i think maybe to 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 remain a student um yeah i think that'd be my answer right to like constantly remain a student you know the second you think that you've got it covered (laughs) is the second that life smacks you in the face and you're like okay no i i don't um and so i think for me it's constantly recognizing that i am in the student position forever and ever um that like to be a master is to remain a student to live inspirationally is to be a student so um yeah i'll log my answer as to remain a student i love forever. it it was beautiful <laughs> that was great well i appreciate you coming on and sharing Thanks. it was those are wonderful wonderful insights awesome uh, thank you for having um, me absolutely and where can people find you online yeah so the website is uh newyorkcouplescounseling.com and uh you can join me on instagram over at mindful mft as in marriage family therapy beautiful cool awesome thank you thanks thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode of neon radio with vienna from mindful mft i'm your host nick onkin and if you enjoyed today's episode i would love it if you could help me out by leaving a good review over on itunes and sharing it out with whoever you think might need this episode. And don't forget, I'd love to hear from you over in the Neon Life community over at neonlife.com community. Love to hear what you're going through and any questions that you may have. And we can possibly bring Vienna back on to answer those. So with that, you know what time it is. It's time to go out and create your life by creating every small moment. And we'll see you next time.